0: and load this is Steve Dace the Steve Dace show
1: and greetings happy Thursday thanks for joining us here today live and on demand on the blaze I am Steve Dace Todd and Aaron are here with me as well as we continue throwback jersey week and uh, we're rocking the Jackie Robinson Brooklyn Dodgers 42 throwback from back in the day there's no finer it's beautiful. Is the throwback game strong today? It is. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is probably my favorite one, actually, of all the ones. If I, I ever want. had a son, we were going to name him Robinson. Really? After the man. Well, you're you're seriously talking. I mean, when you break it all down, when you look at husband, father, man of faith, veteran, decorated athlete, what he meant culturally and socially in the country— I mean, I think you're talking about one of the 10 or 15 most important men of the 20th century. Or Amen. 10 or 15 most important Americans of the 20th century. Amen. It's a big world out there, right? Yeah. <laughs> All right, is the number here at The Blaze. Uh, you can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. You can email us, Steve at SteveDace.com. Uh, that's D-E-A-C-E, or you can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. I can't remember if I said this already, but you heard Todd's voice. Aaron is here as well. You'll be hearing more from Aaron in just a matter of moments. Uh, coming up a little bit later on in today's show, bottom of the hour, we're going to take a break from... The Decline and Fall of Western Civilization to play a game called Three Non-Political Questions. Next hour, we're going to discuss, is there a crisis when it comes to our young men? We're going to talk to an author and a researcher who says the data indicates, sadly, the answer to that question is yes. And then we're going to continue our series for Theology Thursday, Five Dumb Things Otherwise Smart People Believe uh, When It Comes to Christianity. And uh, today we're going to tackle my favorite one in the series. The idea that Christians should not judge, right? Uh, and, you know, I've talked about this before. When many of us were growing up, if you asked anybody of any belief system, or lack thereof, what their favorite Bible verse was, they'd probably tell you John three sixteen because it was omnipresent. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever will believe in him not will not that will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? People held it up inside the goalpost at every Monday night football game, every sporting event, you couldn't get away from it. If you asked that same cross section of Americans today what their favorite Bible verse would be, they'd give you some bastardized version of Matthew 7, uh, judge not lest ye be judged. Right? So we're going to get into that with Theology Thursday today. All right, but uh, one of the things we love to do on this show is drop truth bombs, and that's why we align with folks like our friends at Swiss America. You know, yesterday, in fact, I thought I was going to get banned from Twitter. I told you guys this yesterday. I, I thought I was going to get banned from uh, Twitter on Tuesday, because the clip that Aaron had in his montage of the mentally ill person, because if, if you are if, if, if you're distorting yourself uh, to the point of changing your own gender. Your own most basic form of identity, you're not mentally, you're not mentally in a right place. You, you need counseling, you need treatment. You're mentally ill. And we've got Twitter nowadays banning uh, researchers who call gender dysphoria a mental illness. When they post their data, all right, from academia, <laughs> you get banned. If you're in liberal academia and you post your data, the data that says, yeah, that we think this is a mental disorder, they ban you so I, I pointed out that clip that Aaron had in his montage the other day of the CEO of Google arguably the most powerful corporation on this planet right now sitting down with uh, a, 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 a to be interviewed uh, by a man with a mental illness over their shared concern for what they described as quote borderline content is is just almost the perfect metaphor for spirit of the age progressivism I thought that might get me banned from Twitter um it didn't So apparently I have to try harder. Um, But um, Google right now is working with the Shycoms over there in uh, Beijing. An American company is working with our most bitter economic rival, except to global corporations like Google. We're all friends here. Well, except for you and I, that is. Everybody else is friends, except for us. We're on the outside here. But... They're working with China right now to put together a social credit system. If you don't know what that means, it means that your, your, your status in a society is determined by um, how you behave in ways the government approves of. That's what it means. And they're very concerned at Swiss America when they see that kind of an unholy alliance. And then they see where leftists in our country are already beginning to take us to. They're kind of doing the math here and they are. Why they want to give you this report. It's called The Secret War to give you an idea of what it looks like when big business and big government get into bed together. The end result, usually not good. If you want to get this for free, 1-800-289-2646 is their number at Swiss America. That's 1-800-289-2646. Or you can just visit their website, SwissAmerica.com. That's SwissAmerica.com. And now here's Aaron with What Happened While We Were Away.
2: What Happened While We Were Away brought to you by... Now look, here's a house full of bees. You think the honey badger cares? It doesn't give a It goes right into the house to bees. But look... The honey badger doesn't care. It's getting stung like a thousand times. It doesn't give a sh. It just, it's hungry. It doesn't care about being stung by bees. Nothing can stop the honey badger when it's hungry. Congressman Chip Roy has been that honey badger in Washington recently, and his antics just yesterday were the best indication yet. This all stems from Congressman Roy's obviously well-founded insistence that Congress and his chamber take care of the ongoing crisis at the southern border. Of course that insistence has been falling on deaf ears
0: it is unconscionable what we are allowing to occur
2: as we speak today a little girl and her mom will be abused on the journey through mexico while this country the most powerful nation in the history of the world buries its head in the sand Because my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, in a cynical political gesture and move, refused to actually take up the supplemental request from the President of the United States for $4.5 billion to provide the beds and the resources necessary to deal with the crisis
1: and to start taking up the bills that we should take up to ensure we fix the asylum crisis that cartels are using for profit and to fix the catch and release Broken
2: system that is allowing our system to be overrun. So yesterday, Roy decided to force a roll call vote on all 70-plus amendments to a minibus spending bill, which kept lawmakers, you know, actually doing their job until around 4 a.m. this morning. Roy hoped to pressure the Democrats into addressing the aforementioned border crisis, you know, by sleep deprivation. Representative Thomas Massey reported a few of the comments he was hearing on the House floor directed at Chip Roy. Just exactly what do you think you will accomplish? Are we getting paid overtime? I'm missing my fundraiser for this. I don't think Roy's gambit will work this time around, but it sure is nice to see the swamp sweating. Speaking of sweating, that's probably what the White House communications team is doing right now after President Trump's comments yesterday.
3: Okay, let's put yourself in a position. You're a congressman. Somebody comes up and says, hey, I have information on your opponent. Do you call the FBI? It I don't it's think. Coming from I'll March tell you, what, you do? I've seen a lot of things over my life. I don't think in my whole life I've ever called the FBI. In my whole life, I don't. You don't call the FBI. You throw somebody out of your office. You do whatever. Al you know. Gore got a stolen briefing book. He called the FBI. Well, that's different. A stolen briefing book. This isn't a stolen. This is somebody that said we have information on your opponent. Oh, let me call the FBI. Give me a break. Life doesn't work. I
2: mean, he's kind of right in some respects. You don't call the FBI every time something weird happens. That's just not how life works. Speaking of not understanding how life works, Congresswoman Norma Torres of California had this to say on the House floor yesterday while defending abortion.
3: It
0: is tiring to hear from so many sex-starved males on this floor talk about A woman's right to choose.
2: Speaking of sex-starved males, I'm just kidding. I won't do that to you. Anderson Cooper interviewed Bernie Sanders last night.
0: No, the taxes in many of those countries are much higher than they are. the 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 individual personal taxes much higher than they are in the United States.
2: But I suspect that a lot of people in this country would be delighted to pay more in taxes if they had health. If they had. Uh, comprehensive health care ah socialism joe biden your thoughts
0: i don't i don't put a whole lot in terms of labor i just think that you think right. about it the vast majority of members are running the folks are running are all kind on the same page
2: and congresswoman marsha fudge of ohio added it is glaringly apparent that many who support the president administration are either racist steeped in racist religious beliefs ignorant or as my mother used to say, just plain dumb. I believe the crooked ascension of Trump to to the Oval Office is a gauge that measures the declining patriotic and moral values of the many citizens of America. An update on Pride Month. This was at the D.C. Pride Parade. Headline from the Hill, Trump administration to send migrant children to former Japanese internment camp. Yeah, that's Fort Sill. It's, it's an army base. And finally, a video went viral the other day of St. Louis Blues hockey superfan Layla, an 11-year-old girl suffering from a life-threatening disease. All right, if you could watch the game anywhere in the world tomorrow, anywhere in the world, where would you watch your boys play Game seven. Boston. Boston. What if I told you the Blues called and they want you at the game?
1: What? How? Doctor said it's okay. No, he didn't.
2: So Layla flew to Boston last night for game seven of the Stanley Cup final. The St. Louis Blues won, and here's what happened.
0: Oh, hope I got one in. It looked like. Three. That's right. Nailing him right
1: here,
3: right
0: here. Unreal. Unreal.
2: And that's what happened while we were away.
1: Aaron's Montage brought to you by our friends over at uh, Field of Greens uh, or Brickhouse Nutrition and their product, Field of Greens. If you are like many Americans struggling to get uh, what uh, nature your creator says uh, you need to have regularly in your diet, those fresh fruits and vegetables, I'm wondering why you're taking all these supplements nowadays because a lot of the fresh food that uh, used to be a part of America's diets in uh, in years past really aren't anymore. In fact, even a lot of the stuff we buy uh, that is fruit and vegetable based. A lot of it's just stripped of uh, of those things that uh, our bodies need. And the reason why is so that they'll stay fresher longer Uh, and they'll be able to be more mass produced. And so if you want to put this back in your body uh, the way nature and your creator intended, uh, try Field of Greens. You can uh, stir a cup of it, uh, it, one serving into a cup of any water-based drink. And here's the thing, when you turn over the label, it doesn't say supplement facts, it says nutrition facts because this is real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. So all of those antioxidants, prebiotics, probiotics, missing from so many of our diets today Field of Greens wants to put those back in your lifestyle the natural way. Uh, if you're interested in giving it a shot, 15% off of your first order. It tastes really good as well, by the way. Uh, 15% off of your first order when you go uh, to BrickHouseSteve.com. Just use my name as the promo code to get that discount. BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve. Uh, the final story in Aaron's montage, the Layla story. Uh, we're going we're gonna to talk about that today during the, the overtime. Because um, there's an angle to that story that touches at the heart of one of the, the key debates happening in our culture right now. And I want to connect some dots. So if you are one of our subscribers uh, for Blaze TV, you'll get a chance to watch that uh, later today, the overtime. If you want to be a subscriber, com slash dace. And that'll give you the discount to using my name as the promo code. So you can get access to all of the subscriber content we do every day right here at Blaze TV. blazetv.com slash dace. So let's get to the rest of, of Aaron's montage. And... A, a, a couple of things. Four to six million Americans voted for Barack Obama twice. And then they turned around and they voted for Donald Trump. We don't, the, the, the actual number is debatable. There's been, that's why when, whenever I bring this up, I usually say three and a half or four to six million because there's been a couple of really well done, credible studies on this. And they've come up with numbers within that range. So regardless of whether it's three and a half, four or six, and ironically, I think it was the New York times that had the most optimistic number. I think their demographic study came up with 6 million. So regardless of what the number is, three and a half, four or six, when you win an election in the three decisive States as Trump did in 2016, by a grand total of fewer than 78,000 votes, whether it's the three and a half, whether it's the four, or whether it's the six, here's what we do know. Donald Trump is president today because enough people switched their votes from voting for the previous Democrat nominee twice to voting for him. That is absolutely true. That, that's, that's incontrovertible. That's not even a debatable point. Especially when you draw the corollary data point. What were the three decisive states? Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan; those are not states Republicans regularly win. They have been competitive in Michigan. They hadn't won Wisconsin since 1988, uh, or since 1984, and hadn't won Pennsylvania since 1988. Here's why that matters to a major, uh, to what I think is one of the major uh, videos that that Aaron highlighted today in his montage. We have a congresswoman from a state of Ohio. Not California. Not New York. Where people who vote Republican on a rare basis are a rare breed. Where Republicans winning anything substantive statewide is a laughable notion. All of Aaron's life that he's been politically aware, Ohio has been a key swing state. Has been, I I think, one Republican ever. Has won the White House without winning Ohio in the history of the Grand Old Party. So that's been the case, Todd, in you and I's lifetime as well. Mm-hmm. This is one of the true battleground states. Why does that matter? Would it because she represents a state, a district in a state where people with diverse opinions and mixed opinions is not new. It's it's not something they don't deal with all of the time. Now let's, let's go back to the point that I raised of, of anywhere from three and a half to six million Americans voted for the previous Democrat president twice who happened to be black and then turned around and voted for Donald Trump. Did those Americans become racist suddenly? So they, 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 were, they weren't racist in 2008 and 2012. And then they got up the morning, the first Tuesday in November of 2016, and they just made the determination, you know what, I'm racist now.
4: The science is sound, Steve.
1: Yes, I'm I'm racist now. I'm racist now. That defies all logic. It defies all common sense. It wouldn't hold up to any level of scrutiny whatsoever. But did you hear the level of conviction in her voice? She even quoted her mama. When I saw this video, this was my reaction. Because all of these data points I'm mentioning to you came to my mind right away. So Civil War it is then, sadly. I, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. I mean, if and, and I want to make a point about this that I have said to some friends of mine off the air, and I just keep forgetting to bring it up and tell you in the audience... the reason we're on the brink of something like this and i would argue we're in a cold civil war right now similar to what went on between the us and the soviet union in the in the 60s 70s the 50s 60s 70s and 80s i think you're in a cold civil war now what happened a couple of days after donald trump won is men like me and, or men and women like me who were conservative never-Trumpers. You guys were here. You guys heard, heard me get the phone calls. You saw me do the interviews, right? And that were conservative never-Trumpers got calls from people who were often interviewing us or using us as sources in the mainstream media. And one of the ones I received was from the NewsHour on PBS. And I probably talked to one of their producers off the air for a half an hour. And and then they decided after that conversation, they were going to give me a prime slot on their news hour that night to interview me. And and all these conversations were all the same. How'd we miss this? How did we not know what was going on? Why'd the country vote for this? A flirtation with self-awareness. And I went on their show that night and, and I, I asked them some questions. I said, how many pro-lifers work in the newsroom here at PBS? You guys, you guys are so laser focused on diversity, but you're looking at a diversity that's only skin deep. You assume based on the external identity that I'm going to think a certain way. Didn't your mother ever teach you don't judge a book by its cover? So let's look at, you know, affairs of the heart. Let's look at convictions. How many people in your newsroom are pro-life? I asked them. How many people in your newsroom are um are, are go to go to church on a regular basis? We may even had that clip somewhere. Because I'm sure we would have played it on our show. It might even be somewhere in our library or on our Facebook page. You want to go look it up somewhere. But I asked them some of these questions. You I mean, you're are you really champions of diversity? And so what happened after this last election is confronted with all of the norms Donald Trump had already broken to get elected. And we've broken several norms since he's gotten elected that we didn't even contemplate. Like, we didn't know what a Stormy Daniels was on election day 2016. Did you know? No. No. We, I mean, at least... Not as much as she, what her relationship was with Donald Trump. We didn't know that. So the left America had a choice to make. And the media culture is their propaganda arm. And and they had the choice they had to make after a defeat like that is they could have looked internally. They could have asked themselves, how do we lose to this guy? I even thought for sure Hillary Clinton would disappear because we have traditionally seen this with Democrats. I mean, they, they, you know, they don't, their, their losers don't become future U.S. senators that like lead splinter movements in the party, see Mitt Romney. They're banished. Jimmy Carter had to take up a decade of charitable work to be taken seriously again. Michael Dukakis rectum barely knew him. Seen him around? No. No one has seen him since pretty much the day after the 1988 election, man. Anybody even know if Walter Mondale is alive? If not, when he passed away. They're losers. Sleep with fishes. Except in this case, Hillary Clinton remains omnipresent. And you don't really see a whole bunch of Democrats lashing out. Hey, you're taking the spotlight away from us. There's been a couple, but not really as many as... I would have expected. Well, because they made the other choice. They, they chose not to look introspectively. They chose not to wonder why a bunch of people in Pennsylvania voted, that had voted for them for decades suddenly stopped and, and asked themselves, should we be more concerned about the jobs that Americans have in this generation or what the temperature of the United States might be 10,000 years from now? Right? These are the questions they could have asked themselves. They could have asked all these questions. And don't think that they didn't. They just decided that in the end, they weren't wrong. You were. You're wrong. And this is why you have seen the quintupling down, the sextupling down that you're seeing right now on everything. This is why the one candidate who was going to run on a return to normalcy has flipped from that complete posture and messaging to, yeah, Bernie Sanders is a socialist and we all agree on everything. Thanks. See, they made the decision that they weren't outside of the American mainstream. They made the decision the American mainstream was bad. And now collectively, they have come to the conclusion, outside of the state of Louisiana anyway, that this apparently is the case everywhere else, that there's no reason whatsoever you would disagree with them, other than you are the lowest forms of life we acknowledge. We have to acknowledge that. I mean we have to acknowledge that that's their answer their answer is we weren't wrong you just suck so civil war it is then sadly I I don't I don't I don't know had a reason with that i I don't I don't know how to accommodate something that won't accommodate you I don't I don't know do you know can, I don't I don't I don't know if,
2: can, I I've been told by reliable um, very smart well spoken people that um, as long as we're just winsome and that we can uh, make our our debates in um, a good way in, in, in a convincing way that that's the best course of action. I, I, I don't. I seem to. I, I've done all of that. I, I, I seem. To I've made
1: as many winsome arguments as anybody has, in, including in platforms and forums where a lot of my peers didn't want to go the last few years, and I, and the return I got back was, "You want Christian Sharia law? Oh, okay. I mean, I, 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 I mean, I. Uh, I. Oh, do you know?
4: Nope. I've been where you live for a long time now, Steve. Um, Aragon. I said it yesterday, right? Offer no mercy for none will be offered to you.
1: I mean, I'm at the point right now, I, I don't even know what to watch in my own home, what to even turn on. I mean, I just, I mean, I, I this seems, I, I feel as if there is nowhere I can go Nowhere where there is not a full frontal assault against what I believe in. Not a debate. I love debates. I got into this for debate. These aren't debates, these are assaults. These are offensives. You don't debate a blitzkrieg, you don't debate an armada. You don't debate a ministry of information. That's, that's what's going on.
4: And while we have unplanned a movie that is a punch into the, uh, in the face of the darkness that's ignored for a while by K-Love, I know it came around, but K-Love, the radio station, decided it wasn't going to promote it. In the meantime, when I went to that movie, Steve, and I don't because it's an independent film, all the trailers beforehand were a bunch of totally progressive independent mm-hmm. films. Let my I brought my tools. Meaning, another
1: f- major studio wasn't pushing their so, own catalog with their film, and so, so they were at the mercy of what else would so, fill so those slots. Just, but they right. see
4: that as an opportunity. Bang, mm-hmm. bang, bang, always. And we're like, Caleb is just like, oh, I don't know. It's it's a little controversial. I had, I had, That's who
1: we are, right there. I, I posted on my Facebook wall today that um, I'm I'm so glad Chip Roy, my 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 longtime friend is. This is why I told him not to run. When he asked me about this two years ago, I said, don't do this unless you're going to go there and do this, it's pointless. Well, he's doing, he's doing it. And I was like, to hell with them. One of the first comments on my Facebook wall, you know, I would think someone who claims the name of Christ would have their conscience pricked by wasting hell upon anybody. And I'm like, you know, I would think someone who claims the name of Christ would have their conscience pricked by a bunch of unrepentant pricks who are unleashing hell on the rest of us and then send it the damn check. I thought, I don't know. I think you might have your conscience pricked by that. I, I, I mean, I, I think you might have your conscience pricked by peddling baby parts and let's give Planned Parenthood a half billion damn dollars! Or, you know, let's just have, you know, human trafficking at the border and then give them the beauty pageant wave as the drug cartels invade the country. Maybe that might prick your conscience! Just saying, maybe. is that ring familiar? Is that kind of what you were just describing?
4: Yeah, and then some.
2: I, I just I, want to go on the record. I don't appreciate your tone, Steve.
1: Good. I, I mean you have a gun pointed at you in one direction, and then tisk, tisk in the other. You know, and I can't even go home and watch card sharks without the culture war on my family room television there too. This
4: hour to you by- Precatory prayer. What did you say? This hour brought to you by imprecatory prayer.
1: More in a moment. If you are like millions of Americans fighting an ongoing battle with chronic pain, relief might just be a click away. It's a fantastic product. So many of us here at The Blaze have had tremendous results with, and uh, I would be uh, the latest success story around these parts. It's called Relief Factor. And again, I want to draw a distinction here. If you pop your Achilles uh, like uh, Kevin Durant the other night, That's an injury, okay? Um, And and we're not peddling Benny Hinn prayer prayer cloths. This is about fighting inflammation in the body that causes chronic pain. And the cool thing about Relief Factor is the top two talking points to know and the way they go together. Physician created, number one, but 100% drug-free, number two. And so what does that tell you? It tells you that uh, some doctors got together who can lawfully prescribe drugs and we're like, you know, we're tired of just treating symptoms here. we We want to give the body some relief. what what is natural out there that we can help unleash uh, the 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 healing powers that uh, your Creator, nature put in your body to fight back against inflammation? and it's the four key ingredients that make up relief factor. and now you can give it a shot. For just 20 bucks, a dollar a day for three weeks for the starter kit. What have you got to lose for a dollar a day? Except maybe, hopefully, finally, the pain? Just go to relieffactor.com. That's the website. One click away, relief is. relieffactor.com. And now it's time to take a break from the decline and fall of Western civilization with three non-political questions.
0: (laughs)
2: Indeed it is, because as Steve said, we need a break from the decline and fall of Western civilization anytime we can. It's three non-political questions. First question, uh, we had the story in the montage about uh, St. Louis Blues superfan Layla who, uh, I mean, somebody uh, like that battling a disease uh, like hers, getting to see her go to Game 7 of her favorite team's hockey game, see him win it, and then get to kiss the the Stanley Cup as well. Quite an awesome sight to behold. So my question is a two-part question. What is the best post-championship moment you can remember or maybe you can't remember but you've seen? Uh, And then the second part is, what is the best fan tradition in
1: all of sports? Best fan tradition. Um, let me answer the first one. Uh, the, the, the first one for me is, um, I've got three right away that come to mind right away. Two of them involve my favorite team. One of them doesn't. But, uh, so I'll start with the one that doesn't involve my favorite team for my bachelor party. I won tickets to go. I won a trivia contest from a local sports talk radio station here in Des Moines at the time before years later, I went to work there. And um, I won tickets to the 1997 Final Four in Indianapolis with hotel and we just had to get ourselves there. And it's only like a six, seven hour drive to Indianapolis from Des Moines. So we're in, right? And uh, my buddy Alan and I at the time made the drive out there. The drive was, ended up being treacherous. It had massive tornadoes all throughout Indiana and the hotel was in Greenville. So a suburb of Indianapolis, literally every county in Indiana, as we left the county, that was under a tornado warning. We were like literally being chased to Greenville by this tornado. We got up the next morning and like half the block in the, where our hotel was at was destroyed. But that final four was Arizona. that was the year Arizona became the first team to win the title by winning all the, by beating all the other number one seeds in the tournament. It was Arizona. It was Kentucky. It was Rick Pitino's last team at Kentucky before he we went to the NBA. So Arizona, Kentucky, North Carolina, which was the first year after Dean Smith retired and Minnesota. Oh, wow. That, that year they had the really good team. And then they went on probation after that, which kind of tells you how they had a really good team. It's Remember like that Climb year? Haskins, yeah. With that, Bobby you? Jackson and those guys. Yeah. Remember that team? Yeah. And after the game, after the final game on Monday night, um, my buddy and I walked down to the, you know, we were in the nosebleeds, but we walked down to the, uh, front row seats after the games were over to watch Arizona and stuff cut down the nets with Lute Olson, And one shining moment came on and they played it on the, uh, it, was, it was the Hoosier Dome back then and then the RCA Dome. And, and they, st- they played it on all the video boards around the, the stadium and to watch Miles Simon and those Arizona players st- in the middle of cutting the net down, just get into a dead stop when they heard the music the ball is tipped and they heard the song come on and they looked and then the looks on their faces they look like you know 12 13 year old boys all of a sudden right and it was like this was this they had watched this growing up they this was they wanted to be featured in this and now they're the team that the song was about uh just watching that even from 50 60 feet away was really cool i've never forgotten that and then for me the other two would be my favorite team would be uh um just staying up to watch one shining moment when Michigan finally won the tournament when won its first tournament and only tournament so far in '89 and and you know, having watched that it debuted a few years before and it instantly became a huge success. And being able to see that being about your team, that was, I mean, I'll never forget that night watching that game. Uh, and um, when Michigan uh, won the national championship in football in 1997, and if you guys remember, Brian Greasy was our quarterback and Bob Greasy was the uh, number one uh, color commentator for ABC back in those days. And when Brian started playing for Michigan, they were hesitant to put Bob on games because they thought it was an obvious conflict of interest. But then they decided, you know, what, this is actually a pretty good story. And what happened is Michigan started having a really good season. And and they were like, you know, this is a pretty good, compelling story that kind of adds to it. And with when Keith Jackson says, um hold on right here the envelope for the uh, MVP of the Rose Bowl. Um, would you like to know who it is? Because I'm standing next to a proud daddy. I almost remember this call verbatim because Bob Greasy was an MVP of a Rose Bowl, I believe. And when they got a chance to share that moment together, um, yeah, I mean, that that clip is an all-timer for me. I mean, I thought that, that, was, I thought that was so cool. You know, and... In terms of greatest fan traditions, you know what? I'll go. There's there's a ton of them, but let me go off board. How about Penn State's whiteout? Now their record in those whiteout games is actually only five hundred. They're only seven and seven. It is intimidating. Though. But but just the look the the look on the the television, the sound, the energy, yeah, the aura. What's,
2: what's weird about that stadium is that it seems like every single corner of that stadium is well lit, so it mm-hmm. really pops on television and
1: you know you're gonna probably give me the jump around right at wisconsin right so i'll let you go go ahead jump around uh our fifth quarter
4: can you read me exactly back the first question because so the I-
1: first question is what is the best post
2: championship moment you remember or okay. have witnessed
4: okay i wanted to make sure i wasn't uh uh cheating um well i have a i had a my my packer super bowl the the first Favre super bowl i was actually living in salt lake city so i i, I actually went just downtown and you there's not like there's not bars just everywhere like there's everything place else because it's salt lake city so yeah i didn't know anybody uh and i ended i watched the super bowl by myself it was kind of an odd experience to not know anybody to celebrate uh with anybody so that that absolutely uh sticks out uh the um the, uh, of course, the uh, Wisconsin Badgers going to the Final Four twice. We've talked about that on the show. That that there seemed a, a level of impossibility to getting that, and, and we didn't win. But um, there was great satisfaction still, as close as it was. I mean, we almost won that game. There was more satisfaction than regret. And one personal note: it's cool uh, when my daughter uh, lost. Uh, gosh, she was like thirteen, fourteen, I think. And she lost a, her first uh, tournament championship. Honestly, one of the most satisfying feelings of my life. She got to within 10 feet of me, uh, was kind of trying to hold it all together. And as soon as she kind of got there, she kind of broke down and just, you know, buried her head in my chest. And we, you know, just gave her a big hug. And so, you know, st- that, that, I thought of that. I wanted to make sure I wasn't cheating on the question. But it, this is sparked by Layla. You know, that's, that's why we do this thing. Uh, That's in adult sports. God knows they screw that up all the time. But that's why we do this thing.
2: Yeah, I would say uh, post championship moment. I mean, I barely remember it, but the 2002 Super Bowl kind of. I mean, it's just you know the Patriots won. You know, after after 9 11. uh, So that's all. You know, that's that's cool. I would say. I mean, personally though, the only time I think I've witnessed the Iowa Hawkeyes win anything. Um, major as far as a championship goes with the Big Ten championship in 2006. And that was all you know, that was that was super cool. But that's basically the only claim to the um, best fan tradition. I, I got to go home right here. The, the, the Kinnick wave. I mean, come on. Waving to the kids in the hospital behind the stadium at the end of every first quarter. You really can't beat that. I mean, It just started last year. Two years ago,
1: oh, was it two years ago, yeah. Aaron? You but, spark- it, but it has become a national sensation for all the right reasons. You're yeah, right and I was that.
2: actually in—I was at the stadium the very first time, the very first time that they did that. What? What, Todd?
1: I can't believe
4: you—you're going to hate me. It, uh, you sparked the one I can't believe I didn't even put out there, but I guess I'm just an old man who forgot I was there. But I was there at the uh, the '94 Rose Bowl when the Badgers Alvarez finally took them back after four years. You were at that
2: Rose Bowl. I was at
4: that Rose Bowl. I was sitting. Uh, I took a Greyhound bus with a bunch of chartered people. That was my senior year of college, and I was sitting in the end zone. Steve, do you remember this? The Daryl Bevel doesn't know how to run, but ran for like a 26 mm-hmm. yard touchdown. I was in that end zone. It was that. That's it. That's it. It was
2: amazing. Nice. Uh, question to you What four actors or actresses would you put on your acting Mount Rushmore?
4: Did they, um, so they can be dead. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
3: So
1: all time. Yeah. Um, Nicholson. Um, Ford. Ford? <sighs> yeah, as in Harrison.
4: As in Harrison, okay. Yeah.
1: Nicholson, Ford. Um, you have any while well, I'm still thinking it through? Uh, Let's not have a separate list for actors and actresses. We'll be here the whole time, so just put yeah. them together. Yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Uh,
4: I would put Hanks and Denzel on there. I'm, I, I gotta go to somebody who's passed away. Uh, I
1: could put Denzel on there. All right, so let's do something yesteryear because there's a ton you could do. You yeah. could do Heston, all you know, yeah. um, uh, Olivier. Let me go totally off board. See if I can get some nerd cred. Yeah. Okay, you do Clark Gable, for example, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in fact, maybe he would be on my list. But um, you know, what? I'll go somebody who was very close to Clark Gable, his wife Carol Lombard. So we have some female representation in there. I know it's weird. When I was in college, um, we used to watch old classic vintage movies on AMC and TCM all the time. And I I mean, I just thought everything she was in, she was just like absolutely sensational. So she doesn't, I'm going to put her name out there. She doesn't deserve to be on this list over a Meryl Streep or somebody like that. But I I want to give that woman some run because I think she is a lost treasure. So I'm going to throw Carol Lombard's name out there and just be a total nerd. Marlon Brando? Brando would be on the list. Yeah.
4: I like that question though. I I mean,
1: Brando, you could, I mean, he has three of the, on the waterfront, uh, the Godfather, Apocalypse Now. I mean, these are three of the titular roles of all time, you know, And, and he has the triple crown there. So, I guess I don't know how I could leave him off. You know what? So I got to kick Ford off as much as I love Han Solo and Indiana Indiana Jones. But I now put Marlon Brando on the list, right?
4: Yeah, and Ford's great. I I don't even want to diminish it. He's not a a great actor. He's a great star. I mean, he's not a bad He just isn't a, you know, there's, I just think the other people I mentioned have done things that are, almost transcend i mean there's one scene that did you remember that captain phillips movie mm-hmm. where, where hanks it's not even a. he just has a nervous breakdown after getting saved it's one of the most amazing pieces one. of films yep. i've yep. ever seen like how did you do that
1: yeah that's another name too okay.
2: yeah uh i would do tom hanks uh i would do um uh julie andrews wow. audrey hepburn okay uh even though i haven't really seen many the ones that i have it's really good um And oh man, his—I just had his name on the top of my tongue. Uh, The guy in uh, "It's a Wonderful Life," the main character, Jimmy Stewart. Stewart, Jimmy
1: Stewart, yeah, yeah. He's—he'd be high on my list too. I love Jimmy Stewart. He'd be high on my list. Yeah, we're going to. This is a hard list.
2: Yeah, we're going to be doing more of these.
1: That's uh, that's really hard. Only four. Okay. Uh,
2: Final question: What is a sandwich?
1: It's meat between two pieces of bread. I don't understand Uh this question. So a hot dog is a sandwich,
4: no. No, no.
1: I said, but that's br- what you just said. Well, <laughs> first of all, everything is considered a bread. I mean, <laughs> it's, 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 if we're going to go by that standard, cinnamon, a cinnamon roll is bread because it's yep. made from bread. I mean, how about, so let me specify a sandwich is uh meat that is um sandwiched between two pieces of sliced bread identified as bread, not a bun.
2: So a sub sandwich is not a sandwich then? That's so why it's
1: called a sub. Yeah, but the, it's a sub sandwich. Yeah, but it's called a sub because c- that's the name sand- of the bun. <laughs> okay. It's called, it's called that's what, I mean. That's, so then what is a hot dog? A hot dog. It's a hot so dog. It's its
2: its own class?
4: Yeah. Okay. See, see I, th- I think a sub is a sandwich or a hoagie, but I clearly don't think a hot dog is yet it's then you think oh how do i justify it? well it's cold no but isn't a reuben that's a sandwich right yeah but that's hot meat so i don't this is we're in i i i don't i don't have a definition for pornography but i know it when
1: i see it territory why, I think, why are we deb- the, now, here's what i want that me.
4: was good enough for the supreme court damn it i don't need to be held to some <laughs> higher standard why, why
1: why is this a question because of the last two
2: minutes <laughs> You gave
4: him this segment. <laughs> Stop letting off the leash, Dace.
2: I would I would go with uh, the original definition that you gave before you changed be, before you changed your answer. A hot dog is a sandwich. It just is. I mean, okay. Uh, let's say you slice. You're know, not even being let's, contrarian. Let's you say, really
4: believe that? I'm just asking. No. You? Yeah. I mean, okay. let's say
2: let's say you slice a hot dog into various slices, and then you rip the. You rip the uh, hot dog bun, you know, at the at the crease. There, is that a sandwich? Now it looks exactly the same. It's just cut into different slices. I mean, that's a, that's a sandwich. It's it's a sandwich. Everything is a sandwich, and nothing is.
1: You know, my mom used to make for me when I was a kid that I loved, hot dogs cut up into my mac and cheese. Oh, oh yeah, well, yeah, of course. Yeah, and you know what? Amy's gone next week. She's got to go do something for her uh, out of state for her finish this semester for her masters um i'm gonna make i'm gonna grill up a couple of really good hot dogs
4: what are your good what do you what are your good hot dogs you know which ones i
1: really like i like the uh uh the hebrew dogs those are really good those are really good even better
4: nathan's nathan's
2: garlic content in them oh it's beautiful
1: Yeah. yeah i'm gonna grill a couple of those up and cut them up in some mac and cheese i think next week i'm gonna do that
2: uh do you like the hot italian sausage from johnsonville you ever had that? I have. That's great.
1: Yeah. I'm, yeah. but I'm, I mean, I'm in Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. Well, I was born here. I grew up everywhere, but I'm really partial to, um, Graziano, Graziano sausage. Can. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Yeah.
4: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: I mean, I have tried because I love Italian sausage. So I have tried every brand. I have never tasted anything as good as Graziano sausage. One
2: thing I'm disappointed with Costco in is their selection of brats and sausages.
1: Underwhelming to you? Yeah. This was an important conversation. It was. In America. it was. Is a hot. Is this a debate that's actually happening in places? Oh, it's happened a lot. Oh, really? Yeah, yes. it's an ongoing debate. Oh, okay. It's, not been, it. it's not been solved. It's not been close to solved. Apparently, I am. I've just cemented my shut-in status. I was. I, <laughs> <laughs> i was not aware that this was a debate that was rate this is this, this th- is this your generation's han, you know who shot first han or grito is that what this is no
2: this is my generation's uh, is it a blue or yellow dress uh, this is my generation's is it yanny or laurel oh wait those are all my generation yes okay
1: yeah. stupid Harambi? generation what's harambe's take on this uh harambe <laughs> <laughs> jesus is the greater harambe Babylon B wants you to know. All right, we'll come back hour 2. Do we have a crisis with our young men? An author and researcher has the data. He says the answer sadly might be yes. We'll talk to him and get to some theology Thursday. Next hour right here on the Blaze. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour two alive and on demand, but let's face it. We're not really all that much in demand around here on the blaze. I'm Steve Dase, Todd Erz and Aaron McIntyre here with me as well. Steve at stevedase.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E for those of you that are just listening today via Blaze Radio or the podcast. And if you are listening today uh, on a podcast, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five-star review on the podcast platform of your choice, that would be great. Uh, Only if you like us, of course. If you don't, don't lie. But if you do, we would appreciate uh, you doing so. Thousands of you have done this for us already. We are grateful for all of those because the more of you that continue to do that, the more likely we are to find more people like you. And the more likely we are to continue to be able to make a living doing this, which we would all appreciate too. You can like us on Facebook, although I got to warn you, Facebook doesn't like us. So you have to like us there over and over and over and over and over again. And then maybe finally, the benevolent overlords there at Facebook might count even one of your likes. You can also follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Coming up in the bottom of this hour, we will get to uh, this week's edition of Theology Thursday, I'm going to continue our ongoing series on five dumb things otherwise smart people believe about religion and faith, particularly Christianity. And, uh, and this week's is my favorite in the whole series that, that believers should not judge. You're just terrible. I mean you, you should put us up up with us judging you, of course. But, but, but you're not allowed to judge yourself. We're going we're gonna to deconstruct and dissect that canard coming up at the bottom of the hour. So there's a new book out. And it is concerned about the future of our young men here in the West. And I don't know why. Because every day I'm on Twitter, I am convinced that by virtue of having penises... You are given automatic advantages over everyone else automatically in society, particularly if that if that if that particular unit has a whitish caucasianist uh, tint to it. You are literally just born into lavish luxury; the world is just handed to you everywhere you go. I mean, even for me. I mean, yeah, I was born to a 15 year old mom and. Uh, We were on adc food stamps. I ate government cheese when I was a kid I did reduced lunches and I would try to hide it from my friends in school because I was ashamed that we were poor and had to do that I mean, but while I was going through those things I was strangely comforted by the notion That the day would soon arrive when I would be given the secret handshake and my toxic masculinity and my heteronormative patriarchal senses, particularly of the Caucasian variety, would be affirmed and rewarded. And thus, without any hard work whatsoever on my own men, here we all are. Congratulations to thee. Congratulations, Steve. Yeah. In always- fact, all Aaron did when, Aaron, when we had an opening for this job, um, all Aaron did was just contact me white and male. say, I'm the first white, I'm, I'm first. I said, first what? White male to apply. I said, Hired. Didn't listen to any tape. I had no idea that you even had any opportunity or experience to do this whatsoever, yep. correct? Yep. I mean I privileged I I feel really privileged. I mean not
2: to abuse that word or anything, but I of do course feel not. I do feel privileged.
1: Well, maybe that's not how it works after all. Uh, This book is called The Boy Crisis, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Warren Farrell uh, is one of the co-authors of the book, uh, researcher, co-author. He joins us now here on The Steve Day Show. Warren, first of all, we want to welcome you to the program today. Secondly, was that sufficiently sarcastic enough for you? Your thoughts.
3: That was wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Uh, I hear you have this Brooklyn t-shirt on, and and I used to teach at Brooklyn College, so I'm sort of like feeling this um this white male privilege bond with you. <laughs> uh, uh,
1: yeah, I'm even culturally appropriating here because it's a Jackie Robinson throwback jersey that I'm wearing right. today. Actually, right. yes. That's so so we we are offending literally everyone uh, here. So we're racists if we don't acknowledge the accomplishments of minorities, and then we are racist when we do. So. The good rule of thumb is you're just a racist. So tell us why you began this, re, this research, knowing that it could very end up with you being uh, ostracized and scorned for daring to even ask such politically incorrect questions.
3: Well, pr- first of all, how, how right you are in the sense that I was on the board of directors of the National Organization for Women in New York City. And when I began to find out that um, fathers, that children that of divorce, that Uh, the feminist movement wanted the women to have the mothers to have the option of being the ones to either raise the children of divorce uh, uh, or not raise the children and go off and marry somebody else and move out of the state. Um, And I was beginning to find the research that said that these children were not doing well. And we'd already known this from the Moynihan Report in 1965 among, uh, in in the research in inner cities, uh, the inner city crime was assumed to be the result of of racial issues and, and being black. But we found it really wasn't the result of being black. It was the result of such a high percentage of African-American families not having father involvement. And it was of that 25% of the time of African-American families that did not have father involvement, that's where the crimes were taking place. And so it was a a different issue. Now in African-American communities today, that figure has gone up to 75%. But in Caucasian communities today, it has gone over the, it used to be 3%, it's now 32, Of Caucasian families that do not have significant father involvement, and so I began to see that the boy crisis resides where dads do not reside. And as I researched that further, I saw also that I looked at I looked at the uh, did a study of the mass shooters and saw that about ninety percent of the mass shooters since Columbine have been dad deprived boys. I then. I had run for governor of California and I had spoken to a lot of prison, prison populations and, you know, administrators and of the prisons and judges said, you know, this is not just a boy issue, meaning a boy man issue that 93% of prisoners are male. Um, but most of these prisoners do not have dads. And but but and when I said what does most mean, fifty percent, ninety percent, they said over ninety percent. Then I started looking at ISIS recruits and uh, and found that more than ninety percent of the ISIS recruits were uh, wow. were dad deprived as well. And this is not, by the way, just the boys, but the fe- the smaller percentage of females that are ISIS recruits also dad deprived. so I started looking at. Yeah, there were 10 causes for the boy crisis, but I was, every cause, like the dad deprivation was the hub. Other things like mental illness, the mass shootings, the uh, all the things I just mentioned—they were the spokes. They were not the co- That they were not the core causes. Uh, they were the. They were the secondary causes, um, or things that were. Um, you know, the, the boy may have had um, ADHD problems, and we say, "Okay, his problem is ADHD." But what I saw was that when dads weren't involved. There was, le- there was less likely to be boundary enforcement. Without the boundary enforcement, the boy didn't learn postponed gratification. Without the postponed gratification, the boy wasn't able to finish either the homework or, um, you know, if he was a natural for a, being an actor on the basketball team, he didn't have the discipline to do the drills or the rehearsals. And so he didn't accomplish his dream. And so he began to, to be afraid to dream after a while and ashamed of himself and fearful that he wasn't being ignored. Acknowledged by his teachers, or, and when it got to be boy-girl time, he saw that girls dated; lo- they didn't date losers, they dated perf- winners, which was sort of performers. Um, and so he started turning to porn to get um, satisfaction, access to a variety of attractive women without fear of rejection mm-hmm. at a price he could afford. <laughs> and so, mm-hmm. um, but that, but that addicted his brain to more and more being dependent upon more and more excitement uh, for being able to be excited sexually. And so then the, oh, he gets together with a real life woman and the woman feels like a, a, a sex object because she's being treated that way. And so she rejects him and then he goes back to more porn and the problem um, gets um, into a slippery slope where these boys oftentimes end up um, becoming angry and the anger can lead to the mass shootings or or shooting the people at school who you feel should respect you and pay attention to you because you're a sensitive guy, um, but they're not doing that. And so that's the connection of all those things uh, put together.
1: And even if they don't result in ultimate calamity, like a mass shooter, um, even when you go much, much further down the scale, The debilitating impact. I mean, as I was listening to you break down a lot of those societal symptoms, again, a kid born to a 15-year-old mom. My biological Mm -hmm. didn't bother. My stepdad uh, came from a very abusive household. And so he passed a lot of that on to me and to my little brother. Um, You know, I had a lot of the patterns that you just exhibited. Mm -hmm. Uh, I had proto versions of those uh, going throughout much of my life as well. And where it manifested for me was I went the other way. I was a mass achiever to try and get Dave Dace's approval. And then when I got old enough and realized there was no way I could get his approval, I just kind of quit, gave up. I gained like 200 some odd pounds, uh, flunked out of school. Um, and I, I mean, my story is not unique. You know, I, I'm the first post, se- you know, as a Gen Xer, we are the first post-sexual revolution, first post Roe v. Wade generation, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, my mom found out she was pregnant with me at 15, at 14 is when she was actually yeah, pregnant. She had me at 15. She found out she was pregnant with me at 14, literally about 10 minutes before Roe v. Wade happened, you know, so you can understand why, you know, people mm-hmm. like me have a bit of a sensitive issue about, you know, about that issue for example, and, and the cost of fathers and things of that nature. Um, I, I think I'm, I, I would like to know the reaction you have gotten from sharing this information, particularly at USA Today, where I used to be a contributor there. So I kind of have an idea of what goes on with the uh, comment section there at USA Today. Uh, But uh, this goes against all of the zeitgeist. Gender is fluid. None of this matters. Uh, We have to be flexible about what our ideas of a family structure is. Uh, Women can do absolutely everything men can do. Um, In fact, they can become men and men can become women and dudes can have a uterus and uh, menstruate, right? These are all the arguments that we are supposed to buy in this day and age. Brother, you are flying head first. You're in the soup throwing this research out there so yes. what kind of reaction have you gotten
3: well I'd, I'd i'd estimate the best i can tell that i've lost about 30 to 40 million dollars in income i used to be speaking all around the world on behalf of sponsored by feminist uh, communities and um and they <clears throat> that was um led me to be you know very popular and also very um well to do and, um, and so once I started saying that, you know, that the fathers were really important, and the women's movement's response was, well, we want mothers to have the freedom to be able to raise children by themselves. We don't want to really hear this about fathers being important. And we want mothers to be able to decide after the, uh, divorces, whether they are the ones to be able to be in charge of the children or not. And now was afraid of losing political power by not by having women be split up and saying, you know, listen, if you're going to advocate equal and Involvement of father and mother after divorce, I'm not going to be a, a NOW member. And NOW was telling me, the NOW board members were telling me, you know, we have a lot of fish to fry here, Warren, uh, custody and parenting is only one of them. And so we can't, you know, we can't afford to lose uh, and split out membership. And so I have had uh, enormous amounts of resistance to from um, liberal and, and pro- quote, progressive groups. By the way, progressive is really a self-righteous term that should never be used if you don't want people to feel, um, you know, condescended to by you. but. That aside, <laughs> the, um, uh, this this has cost me a huge amount in that respect, but I decided I would at least try to say what I felt was what the research was showing. And as the more research I did, the more distant I became because I now have identified more than 60, 70 different areas that uh, boys do so much worse in. By the way, girls with <clears throat> minimal amount of father involvement also do worse and almost all of those 60, 70 different areas. However, they don't do worse to such a degree um, as uh, boys do. Girls at least have in single mother families a same gender role model. And they also have much more permission to express their feelings and to ask for help. So in college, for example, 75% of people that visit the the college psychologist and share their suicidal ideations, uh, 75% of them are women, but Mm -hmm. 75% of the people that commit suicide in college are boys and men. Uh, and so this is, um, you know, gives you an example of the of the, of the challenge. The, one of the, uh, the things that you, you referred to before that is so sad is this whole concept on the part of feminine the feminist community about male privilege. Um, men learned throughout their history, every generation had its war. And almost every father and mother prepared their son to be as a way of being a man, to be disposable, to be willing to be disposable in that war, mm-hmm. and we gave we gave boys social bribes of calling them heroes if they would if they would be disposable, to, even if they died, um, saving somebody else. They were you know, they were even more significant as a hero because of their willingness to to prepare for that death, and so to say that. know to reverse this and if we if i were to say well there should be you know because you know men have done this for thousands of years for the next thousand years or so, we should have an affirmative action program, and only our females uh, should have to register for for draft and go to war and be the firefighters and do the be the first responders, and they're the ones that should die. Uh, no one would suggest that um, that would be an opportunity for females to be equal and have female privilege as a result of encouraging them to die, um, so that that men could live. And yet we so we we've, we've encouraged men to do this. Now this has created a certain amount of toxicity in order to be willing to prepare yourself for death, uh, you have to deny your feelings. You have to not care about, you know, who you are. And so um, but those that denial of feelings is a result of having to play the role of being willing to be disposable in order to be a man. Mm. And so that's what no feminists that I'm aware of, uh, or very few feminists that even uh, get.
1: There was, an, a, there was an argument uh, from the pro-abortion crowd recently that goes right to the conversation you and I are having right now that I, that I, I just thought it was one of the most ironic responses to me as a pro-lifer I've ever seen. And, and this was, well, if you guys don't want abortion anymore, then we ought to have laws that don't allow men to abandon their children. And I thought, yeah, you guys are finally f- you're, you're figuring this thing out. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of the point we've been trying to make is the connection between all of these things, right? And and what I find fascinating is, is that if you buy into a leftist worldview, they really don't have, from what I have seen, Warren, it's not a worldview as much, as much as it's a conglomeration of wishes. It's a confederacy of ideas that may or may not actually be true, but it's what I desire the world to be. And so I will zigzag, zag, zig. Um, I will uh, reverse engineer whatever I have to do to tie certain things together um, in order to have the outcome I want. I have the world look the way that I think it ought to look, or I want it to look, whether it looks that way or it could ever look that way whatsoever to the point now that when they are arguing with pro-lifers like myself, they're saying, well, we shouldn't let dads abandon the kids they sire. And we're like, yeah, we used to call those family values and you mock Dan Quill when he said that 25 years ago to Murphy Brown. I mean, yeah, that's exactly the as a kid born to a 15 year old mom, single mom who grew up on ADC food stamps and government cheese. Yeah, we, we, we probably should punish fathers who sire children and walk away from them. I mean, yes. do you understand the point that I'm trying to make here, Warren, the disconnect that we are seeing from our progress from the, the progressives that are trying to reimagine Western society?
3: There's been a lot of pick and choose liberation uh, among, <laughs> among feminists. Well said. Yes, and 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 there's been a lot of toxic feminism. And when I say toxic feminism, I mean the type of you know. Uh, it, w- feminism and liberal liberals are supposed to be inclusive that's what they theoretically are uh, known for but um they have not been inclusive of white males and they have not been inclusive of males in general and so and and worse than that you know by but i have since the boy crisis book has come out i've gotten maybe a hundred letters from families who say that as early in the seventh eighth grade their boys are hearing, uh, the future is female. Mm -hmm. Uh, In college, they're reading books called The End of Men. Uh, This is the first time in history that anyone has ever read books about the end of their gender. Um, This is not a real inspiration for our sons to grow up healthy if they think that their gender is discounted or basically going to be ending. And so there's such a, um, uh, there's so much sadness. Uh, Boys are being told the message where I was talking about pick and choose liberation, um, boys are getting two messages, um, or many me- con- conflicting messages in schools. Parents are telling me, they're saying on the one hand, you know, my son is told be very cautious with uh, girls and women when you're asking them out. And in California, we have an a, a affirmative consent law where a boy that reaches out and takes a girl's hand on a date without asking her permission first can be accused of sexual har- harassment. This is the law mm. uh, in California. And at at the, the
1: same case. time, they're peddling all forms of sexual licentiousness as a curriculum to kids as young as kindergarten, right? At the same time. Y- yes,
3: yes. And and there's also, so you know, the boy is seeing this experience of, be very cautious with girls, and then he's seeing the girls be attracted to the football players and guys who are high risk takers. Mm-hmm. And then, if he is very cautious, and he, you know, he he realizes that if you know if a female says um yes, it uh, doesn't doesn't respond, and then she accuses uh, him of sexual harassment, um, that he'd have to have something in writing. So if he, you know, even if he's cautious, he's called a wimp. Uh, and if he's super cautious and brings along a legal sheet for ha- having her sign for each level. Level of consent, because this consent has to not just be done at the hand-holding stage, but it's supposed to be done, this is the law now, at each level of intimacy. Now, California is the only state that has that law directly, but there are 26 states where this law is working its way through the legislature in various forms. And even if it doesn't work its way through the legislature, it is scaring our sons in two ways. One is they're afraid to, to even ask women out. So they resort to porn because that's the only way that they don't know. You, know, they, they you, know you, you described
1: what's happening exactly. on the Pacific Rim countries that are in a demographic winter and marriage is not happening in, in a lot of those developed Asian nations. That's what you're describing right there. Yeah. Yes,
3: yes, exactly. Um, and now you're getting to a really important point, which is, you know, what, where did all this come about? And when I started doing uh, the research for the boy crisis, my assumption was that this was largely a U.S. problem. I then found that it was in 56 of the largest developed nations wow. that boys were falling behind girls in every single academic subject, for the most part. And, uh, and the most the way they were falling the most behind was in reading and writing, which are the two biggest predictors of success. And so the, the boys were um, having, uh, and so I asked myself, what is happening in these developed nations? And in the developed nations, as, as survival was not such a big issue, there was more and more permission for two things. One is divorce, and then the second was, was for children being able to be raised by single mothers without being married. Now in the United States, among women under 30 who have children, 53% of them do not have, ch- have children without being married. And some people say, well, sometimes the father lives with the uh, mother, so what's the difference? Here's the difference. Among the ones that, uh, get mar- that do not get married, but just have a father living with them when the child is born, Forty percent of those fathers are not involved with the family after three and a half to four years, mm-hmm. and so those children are dad deprived. So the, the, so my then I looked more carefully into those d- demographics. It wasn't all children of divorce that were having problems. It was the boys that had of divorce that had um, problems. If four, if one of if four things weren't happening after divorce, if there wasn't about an equal amount of time with mother and father. If the dad and mom did not did not live within 20 minutes drive time of each other, if the child did not, if the child heard bad mouthing from mother to father or father to mother, that was severely harmful. And then fourth, if the, if the family was not involved, the parents were not involved in continuing a relationship counseling or communication counseling so that they could coordinate, even though that they were, um, they could coordinate their parenting, um, even if there was a Mm. divorce. Um, so anyway, those are some of the things that um, were happening. So the, the, the point there being in those two demographics, the divorce demographic and the single mother demographic, among those children that had dad deprivation, that's where the ISIS recruits, the um, the mass shooters, the prisoners, mm-hmm. the crimes, the obese boys, the, um, the boys that have our failures to launch, the boys that are... Um, That are addicted to to drugs, opioid the opioid um, addiction, death by opioid overdose is two to one males to females, but almost all those males are dad deprived boys.
1: Sober, but uh, stuff we need to know more about. You got to get this book again. It is called The Boy Crisis. Uh, Dr. Warren Farrell is the co-author, Why Our Boys Are Struggling and What We Can Do About It. Warren, we have definitely got to have you back at some point in the future. Thank you for what you're doing and being part of the show today. All right. Take care.
3: Thank you. It would be my pleasure to be back.
1: All right. Wow. You know, that's one of the reasons we're doing this cruise next year, uh, that Glenn and a lot of the VIPs here at The Blaze are leading. I mean, this is a lost legacy. I mean, we we have failed to conserve and therefore preserve what it is that made us exceptional for this in future generations. That's why they want to take this cruise through history, uh, to, to go and visit Venice, the birthplace of commerce, uh, Greece, the origin of the Republican democracy, and then go to the Holy land and walk where the Jesus and the disciples walked to learn where the birthplace of our ideas of self-sacrifice, mercy, grace, law, justice, right and wrong. Um, where did all of these things we call Western civilization and that we call here in our corner uh, of that, uh, of that Western world, American exceptionalism. Where did they come from? It's called The Cruise Through History and you can bring your kids and grandkids. Plenty of learning, but a lot of fun as well. Some good nightlife, classic food as well. If you want to learn more about this, uh, go to comesailaway.com. Get information uh, and details on the various uh, packages that are available. And yes, again, you can bring your kids and grandkids. comesailaway.com. You know, guys, the only postscript I can put in that conversation we just had with Warren Farrell is... If you, if you put all the demographic information together in America right now, it is more likely that a 27-year-old male is living at home with his parents or a parent than he is married with a child in the culture that we have today. That, that is death of the West kind of stuff right there. And there's always outliers, right? So are you living at home because, you know, dad died and mom needs your help or mom died and dad needs your help. And right. There's all. So there's always exceptions, but in general, a society where it's most able-bodied men are more likely to be living at home with parents or a parent than living with a wife and child is a society that is going to have a very difficult time in future generations, perpetuating itself, Todd.
4: And it makes you Steve, who is going to marry our six daughters? Good grief! I mean, I, this is why my second daughter, who's almost fourteen, and uh, I've had conversations now with her and her older sister, just so th- just so they're clear that the, you know the, your decision. And she's starting to have some interest from boys, and it's been innocent and fine.
1: Uh, uh, but like your, y- this isn't like uh, it, I'm seeing with my eighteen-year-old daughter yeah. right now, and, and and I don't want you know, that's her life. Needless to say, she's beginning her dating prospects now and full time and, and and she's not overly excited by oh, what she has seen so far and we well, guess we'll just leave it at that and up until then I
4: like you know you your you're dating is not your decision alone uh, your it is every part uh, your mother's decision and my decision i vet all of it, I decide who comes and who goes, uh, and you have you, you have got to get your daughters uh, to respect that. If you are any kind of a father, you are just abandoning them. The, not, the amount of parents I see in you know like soccer club circles and all that stuff, like, well, they got to grow up sometime. They've got they've got some sort of version of that. And these are these are people I like; they're nice people, but they are just absolutely throwing their children, their daughters,
1: to the wolves. What were you thinking as you were listening to that, Aaron? Well, I, I was thinking about, the,
2: you know, par- partly of this um, uh, New York Post story uh, from, from last week that went viral. A lot of people were talking about it, talking, uh, citing a, a survey from Alarm.com about how millennial uh, dads or millennial uh, men, I should say, are less, um, less prone and less likely to be able to do uh, do-it-yourself tasks mm-hmm. around the house and things like that. You know, you don't have a set of screwdrivers, don't have a drill, don't have a uh, a hammer, things like that. And how are you going to do do-it-yourself stuff? Well, the the I think the proper take on that is uh, what I saw. Uh, you know, a few people say uh, it's kind of hard to know how to do do-it-yourself stuff or be as good at do-it-yourself stuff as you know the the previous generation was when they weren't really there, when they were absent. And I think the same thing can be said for. For me, I mean, you, you're, a, you know, I don't know, a twenty-something year old kid who grew up in a single parent household. You don't really get a picture or an appreciation of what that can look like and what is good about that relationship if it is a broken relationship. So it's like, well, what, what what's the big deal about marriage? And especially if you're living in a culture like ours where there is a, there is a hook, there is still a hookup culture. I can get the, you know, uh, why buy the the cow when I get can get the milk for free? That that type of thing. Um, there is just a lot of factors, a, a, a ton of factors, and again, I don't want to uh, apologize or make excuses for, but there are a lot of factors that have completely de-incentivized um, men to actually become men. I should say boys to actually yep. become men. Yep. That, that, that I don't... I, I don't just completely disassociate their own personal responsibility for that, but we're in a culture that has completely disincentivized
1: that. There's men and then there's males. There's a lot of males, not a lot of men. Even more boys who can shave. Real Estate Agents I Trust was started a few years ago by Glenn and uh, some of his associates, tired of real estate agents who talked a good game but then didn't deliver the results as promised when needed the most. And that's why they set up an opportunity for agents to be vetted by three criteria track record of success, they're personable and trustworthy, and then they understand how to read a market. If you're looking for an agent that checks all three of those boxes, you're looking for a real estate agent that you can trust, and you're looking for this website, realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. Theology Thursday is next. Theology Thursday is next so you may have been fighting that battle of the bulge and you're trying to get active you're trying to do things right and something seems to be missing well maybe the missing link is called oea and it's an abbreviation uh, for a word that I can't really pronounce, but uh, it's, it it really just is a fancy word for the signal that goes from the gut to the brain when you're eating to say, "Hey, we're full, we're good to go, and uh, get back to what you were doing." And it's one of the key regulators uh, and kickstarters for our metabolism. And if that signal is faint in some of us, or as we get older, uh, if it grows fainter. You're going to have a hard time getting your metabolism, a harder time getting your metabolism to work the way uh, that it was intended. And that's where Riduzone comes in. All they want to do, uh, this isn't a whole bunch of chemicals. It's three ingredients. One is rice. The overwhelming first ingredient is this OEA. That's all they want to do is put it back in your body. No caffeine. It's not a stimulant that I mentioned, not loaded with a bunch of chemicals. It's just about strengthening that signal in the body so your metabolism does the job it was intended to do. If you want to give it a shot, Riduzone will give you a special offer if you use my name, Steve, when you go to their website, riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E for riduzone.com. All right, let's transition to Theology Thursday. We started this series a couple of weeks back, and it's based off a series we did at my home church, actually. Uh, So you're going to hear our pastor, Pastor Quinton, has uh, come up with a series of things what he calls five dumb things otherwise smart people believe about religion, faith, and especially Christianity. These are canards often cited and repeated both in and out of the church that uh, we're going to spend each week here during the course of this five-week series deconstructing with Pastor Quentin's help. And this third one this week, it's my favorite one that we're going to talk about because it's in our line of work uh, we come up against this canard on a frequent basis. I mean, this could be its own drinking game right? I mean, and that is that Christians should not judge. Watch this.
0: Dumb thing that smart people believe. Christians should not judge. Christians should not judge. Here, this one comes across all the time. You know, hey, we're not to judge people. You know, you should never say that anything's wrong or bad or, you you know, you, you can never, you can never say that anything's wrong anymore, right? Imagine that you're in your first day of college at uh, in a philosophy 101 course, and here's your professor, here he is. And he's saying, um, what is your your view of uh, reality? Uh, Is it A, I believe in absolute truth. There are standards of right and wrong that apply to every person in every situation in every culture. Or B, you know, I believe that truth is a personal thing. And if something is true for you, then go with it. But don't push your morality on others. Which one are you going to choose? Well, the choice is clear. If you want to avoid conflict, a round of boos and hisses, or being perceived as a fanatic from the dim recesses of the Puritan era, you're going to pick B. If, on the other hand, you want to endure a semester of ridicule, harassment, insults, and probably some red marks on your papers and a low grade, pick A. Because that's just not acceptable, this view. And then people say you can't judge people. And then when Jesus says, do not judge, well, that seals the deal, right? Right? I mean, Jesus himself said, do not judge. So let's look at that. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. Right? Oh, there it is. Okay, but let's read on and get the full flavor of what he's talking about here. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you will be measured by the same measure you use. Okay, now it's talking about the way that you judge people and the degree and the measure you use in evaluating people. He says in verse three, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. The point that Jesus is making here is to make sure that we don't become critical, fi- fault-finding, self-righteous jerks. And that's a marginal reading, but it's pretty close to what He's saying here. The point is not to cause us to lose all ability to discern right, from wrong or good, from bad. You can never say that anything's good or bad. You can never think,, thing, that's right or that's wrong. That's absurd. In fact, just a few verses later in the very same chapter, Jesus says this in verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets. Okay guys, if there are false prophets, that would suggest that there are also true prophets. And to be on guard against false prophets, you're going to be able to have to tell the difference between a false and a true prophet. You're going to have to judge. You're going to have to make a judgment call here. Is that true or false? If they're all just true and good, then there can't be such a thing as false prophets. In fact, he says, be on your guard against them. This is a command to us who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. In other words, when you sound it, it's going to sound nice. It's going to sound good. It's going to sound right. That's why you got to be on your guard. So he's calling for us to be extremely discerning. Be careful. Judge rightly. Think about this. Be smart. And then he even says, you'll recognize them by their fruit. In other words, you are to judge them based upon the impact of their lives and where is this all leading and how is this impacting the people around you and our culture and so forth. That's how you make this judgment. Jesus made moral judgments all the time and he taught us to do the same. He says, see those Pharisees? They're horrible hypocrites. Don't be like them. You have to make a judgment. That's a horrible hypocrite. I'm not going to be like that. We do this all the time. Tolerance in our culture has been turned on his head. Used to be what? Tolerance meant I'll put up with you, you'll put up with me even though we have a disagreement. Even though you believe I'm wrong or I believe you're wrong. Nowadays it says tolerance is I can't say that you're wrong. You can't say that I'm wrong. Who's to say? We just have to live and let live. There's no difference between them. Nobody really believes that. Nobody believes that. Not even the tolerance crowd believes that. Because they don't like people like me or most of you. They say, hey, we should just accept everybody. Well, I believe in absolute truth. You are a horrible person. You are a hater and a bigot. Wait a minute. I thought you weren't supposed to judge me. Well, we can judge people like you. I mean, that's how it rolls, guys. Everybody has their standards by which they judge. Everybody. Nobody escapes this at all. All right? Today you are going to judge. Let's go to a good restaurant, not a filthy, disgusting one. Right? Or whatever. You all make these judgments all the time. So the point of it is don't be a nitpicking, self-righteous, hard-nosed person who doesn't see your own faults and who's quickly picking out everybody else's faults. That's what it means by don't judge. Don't be judgmental critical.
1: Nice. Thank you for the warning there, Mr. McIntyre.
2: I gave you two minutes-ish. And, and then, then I said, two minutes-ish. Stand by. And then
1: stand by. Yeah. <laughs> so. Ah, oh, we're back. So anyway, uh, your thoughts. Todd, I'll start with you. On uh, the canard that Christians should not judge and what the actual context of this oft misquoted a portion of scripture happens to be well you like to do something
4: for effect that i think applies here when you talk a, about a list of the five or ten most important things you say this one is like one through one through ten you know mm-hmm. it's all of them th- this th- i don't know what's coming yet but this could have been all of them and then the other ones a subset of them in my estimation because this is what just one of the great ridiculous cheap grace pieces of trash ever uttered by anybody claiming the mantle uh, Christian. I it, the good grief, the cross. I this is what I your faith is a rated R faith. That bloody cross is judgment. By definition, it is judgment. A verdict is has been rendered. Mm. And we are told in so many ways throughout Scripture, uh, both uh, specifically in terms of the lists of the things you're supposed to do and not do, how, how and whom we are supposed to address uh, sinners. Uh, it is sometimes uh, with a larger measure of grace. It is sometimes with a larger measure of a jawbone of an ass. It's sometimes with something in between, but it's always with judgment in mind. Yes, no. How must we live how, how must we live now? It's, this, this is such a great lie of the times that it is it is simply born of a people who aren't genuinely it, this is post-Christian.
1: Now, you aren't that's really the a Christian right people if you that's, think this is true. That, that is, you're living in a pagan society. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly right. And we just don't, or, or struggle to recognize this because the symbolism and nomenclature of our faith that inspired this culture still resides everywhere you go. But if you look at not what what we say, but what we actually do and think, you live in a, this is a pagan society. I mean, the the great irony of of Secularists, progressives, um irreligionists uh claiming Matthew 7 as their favorite Bible verse. That judge not lest ye be judged. As Pastor Quinton points out there, this is part of a collection. That that whole chapter is really a re- Jesus is rebuking uh, self-righteous hypocrisy. Um he mm-hmm. is he is he is rebuking those who have determined by their own worldly wisdom what god means or even if he exists at all Um, because remember we had one house of the you know jesus often had debates and conflicts with a group of religious leaders in his day that were called the sanhedrin and they were made up of really two for lack of a better description parties they were theological parties but you know they were the two parties of the day they were the pharisees and the sadducees the sadducees were people that didn't believe in a resurrection now here's why that's key because the reason, that, and, and the reason you believed in the resurrection of the dead is because that's when the eternal judgment would take place. So if you don't believe in a resurrection, guess what you don't believe in? Judgment. You don't, you don't believe there will be an eternal divine judgment. You believe that this world is all that there is. Uh, the high priest of the, the, of the Sanhedrin, the year that, uh, that Jesus uh, was arrested and tried, was a guy named Caiaphas. He was a Sadducee. So when you hear him say things like, better one man to die than for the whole nation to perish, that's, a, that's right out of social justice. I mean, this is, the world is all that we have. So we, have to, we, have, we need progress. We need this world to be the best it can be. And there's nothing else to look forward to. There's no judgment coming. This world is what we make of it. And the irony of those who glom on to that verse out of context is that verse is, is not a rebuking of orthodoxy. It's a rebuking of them. I mean, if you, are, if you are claiming that God spoke in a way that he did not because it fits what you want the truth to be, whether it's true or not, so that then you can impose your will onto other people and using this as justification, you're not, you're not, the, um, the, 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 you're not the people of enlightened tolerance. You are the very hypocrites that Jesus is condemning. It doesn't always have to look like, you know, bony finger pointing religionist. Mm-hmm. You don't, like, you don't have my third and fourth level of uh, moral v- uh, viewpoint on this. So um, you just hate the Lord. It can look, can it look like that? Sure. Yes. It can look like that. Here's what it can also look like. Um, y- yeah. yeah you, I'm allowed to judge you as much as I want, but you can't judge me. And then I can judge you by a standard that actually isn't even one, one that I literally just freaking made up. And I can impose it on you with impunity, and I don't even have to live by it. You know, I mean, I, I can, I can, I can, I can use every carbon-emitting airliner on planet Earth to fly to my climate change conference, as I rack up with this round trip not to mention the SUV that will drive me through the airport uh, to the event and back. As I rack up in the span of about 72 hours, a greater carbon footprint than 97.5% of this planet will emit in a year, if not their lifetimes. I then can disregard all of that. I don't have to be aware of any of that. And I can judge you as stupid, racist, homophobic, xenophobic bigot if you don't have the same views on climate policy I have. See, Matthew 7's about that too. So it's about you. So congratulations. Uh, that that's the irony. The irony of of the tolerance mob claiming Matthew seven as its favorite Bible verse is it is once more conv- it's it can confirmation that self awareness is dead because Aaron they convict themselves if you look at with the context of what's actually being discussed here.
2: Yeah, and this is tangentially. Um, kind of a rebuke against those who kind of, you know... We have to kind of massage around the edges, you know? It's not a culture war. We're just trying to really convince people and be, and be winsome, uh, you know, in the way that we make our arguments and really not rock the boat too much. Um, why is it always incumbent upon us to make those arguments? Why isn't that also true of them? Why aren't they the ones to whom... Uh, we're saying, uh, you, you guys need to be a little bit more softer around the edges, you need to convince us a little, no, they're the one, they're the horde coming at us, but we're the ones who say, you know, we gotta, we gotta be nice, we gotta, we just gotta have to make a, a rational, logical argument, and present it in the nice way. Um, that's that's what we're constantly being told, both in the political and the cultural realm, uh, and really in the realm of, of the church, which, you know, to some degrees hits on the, the uh, you know, the former too. That is That is such a a lie, because when we talk about this judge not lest ye be judged, it's always coming from one direction, like you just pointed out. Mm -hmm. I can judge you, uh, but you can't judge me. It's the same way with any other issue. We're told by a lot of really smart people... Uh, on a day-to-day basis, that no, you can't call this a culture war. No, you can't tell these people to go to hell if they, you know, support murdering babies and uh, tearing them limb from limb in their mother's room. Yeah, you can't tell people can't who support people doctrines who, of
1: demons to go to hell. You can't right.
2: tell you can't tell those people because we have to make a rational, we have to be nice, we have to make a calm argument. Uh, why isn't the same true? For, so th- th- that's assuming that both sides are equal. No, we are right now uh, with pro- progressivism, leftism. That's the same thing. We are in, this, uh, in a zero-sum war, a zero-sum game. There is no, there is no uh, argument that you can make with... If you supported X, Y, and Z, politician, it means you're steeped in religious uh, bigotry and uh, racism. Uh, let's see, if, if you're pro-life, uh, you're a sex-starved male. Uh, if you are a pro-life judge, you are akin to being a racist and an anti... There is no arguing for that. You see how it always comes one way? We have to, we have to be nice to them, mm-hmm. but, you know, they're just the horde. But mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's always – that is the great lie. And it is always – it really is all the way around
1: a self-righteous standard. So before we get out of here, let me give you one way you can push back against this. All right. It, it's almost impossible to live today uh, without uh, a mobile phone. And all these networks, they're merging. Even in their ads, they're telling you they have all the same coverage everybody else does. So what's really the difference? Well, the biggest difference is what they do with your money after you spend it with them, all right? Patriot Mobile is the only phone company that supports, a mobile phone company that supports your values. Uh, they believe in the same America that you do, and that's why thousands of Blaze listeners and viewers have made the switch for a limited time. It even just got easier to do it. Right now, you get a free month of service on all new lines with the offer code blaze. That's a free month of service on all new lines with the offer code blaze. And with unlimited talk and text plans starting as low as $25 a month, there's never been a better time to make the switch. All right, more than $2 million has been raised through Patriot Mobile for conservative causes so far. Imagine what we can do uh, if even more of us join this fight. Again, get a free month of service on your new line with the offer code blaze when you go to patriotmobile.com. That's PatriotMobile.com. That was very well said there, Aaron. Uh, Stick around for the overtime. Uh, There's a story about the St. Louis Blues uh, superfan Layla, the the touching story that goes right to the heart of a debate we're having in the culture today. We're going to tape that for our Blaze TV subscribers, the rest of you. We will see you tomorrow at noon Eastern, right after Glenn Beck. Until then, John 317.